Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Believe and embrace. We're picking up uh, where we left off last week. We're in Mark chapter 16. This is part two tonight. He who believes. Hey, believe and embrace. He who believes. Uh, last week, we began reading from the passage of scriptures at the very end of the book of Mark. This gospel of Mark is a book of, of action. You know, if you go to Matthew, they go through genealogies. If you go to John, it just begins in the beginning and tells you about the love of God. If you go to Luke, it is a well-written research paper on, on, on everything that happened because Luke is the only Gentile that wrote here in this New Testament. And he wrote from a real, uh, you know, he was a medical doctor, a physician, as we understand. And he went around, uh, you know, he was not one of the disciples. He was not, you know, uh, uh, he went around later investigating everything that all the claims of Jesus and interviewing people and, and, and the apostles. And, and he wrote us, uh, you know, he, he, he wrote a paper. He wrote a, uh, a, a dissertation, if you will, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit led by Almighty God and penned the words of God in a credible document. And they all have their flavor. But if you go to the book of Mark, Mark is shorter. And Mark gets right to the point. I mean, he jumps in right at the miracles of Jesus. He doesn't really tell you about his birth and he, he doesn't go into a whole lot of theology. He just jumps right into what Jesus is doing. He gets into the meat of this thing. And for Mark, if you read it, it's power packed all the way through. He just wants to tell you what, what, what you know, just uh, Mark, neither was Mark a disciple of Christ. He was not an apostle either. Mark was just a young kid and he was, he, he was taught by Peter and by Paul, but he was, uh, you know, accompanied Peter quite a lot of the way. And most of these accounts that he wrote, we understand that he heard them directly from Peter. In fact, Mark records some things that, that the other gospel don't record from a perspective of a singular perspective of the apostle Peter and talking about it from the apostle Peter's point of view. So it's power packed because Peter was right there. You know, he was very uh, sanguine in his approach to life and, you know, very, uh, you know, you know, uh, bacon, you know, huh? You know, he was just, you know, uh, just, uh, uh, he was just, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, pulled out a sword and cut off that guy's ear. And, you know, and he was, and then the next minute he was denying Christ. And, you know, and he was, you know, telling Jesus, well, over my dead body, you're going to the cross. And Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. I mean, Peter was very bombastic, very in your face. He was this, you know, a, a fisherman type of guy that would just, you know, uh, I mean, he was just, you know, rambunctious. And what we find in the book of Mark are these uh, accounts that no doubt came straight from the apostle Peter. In fact, many people could imagine this being the gospel according to St. Peter. But when we get to the end of Mark in the 16th chapter, we read last week, and if you missed last week, you can, you can go back and pick it up. I'm not going to try to go back over it because we only got to one verse. <laughs> I'm hoping we can get a little bit further. I hadn't planned on this being a series. I planned on preaching it last week, but uh, uh, Mark 16, let's, let's, let's do verse 15. 
And Jesus said to his disciples, this is at the, at, 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 at the point we believe of Jesus about to uh, ascend into heaven, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. These are some of the last instructions as we understand a part of the Great Commission. As Jesus has fulfilled his part, he's now passing on a responsibility to someone else. We now have this responsibility. We must also pass it on to someone else whenever we are ready to go to heaven. And so here Jesus said unto the disciples, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If you want to know more about that, come this Sunday morning in Sunday circles, because that's our topic. This is our scripture. It's our memory verse, in fact, for uh, this coming month, uh, August. And, and uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, verse 16, he who believes, there is our title of our message today. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Sozo will be made whole completely. Spirit, soul, and body will end up getting everything that they need, not only for eternal life, but also for this life. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, damned, will be, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know um, condemned. You see, Jesus is, is giving a, com, a complete picture, if you would, of the gospel on God's terms. And here's what the gospel looks like on God's terms. The gospel is an offering. The gospel makes an offering to pardon us of our sins, to save our souls for an eternity, and to help us over the hurdles and through the tribulations of this life. But it's offered, the gospel makes an offering, but it's offered on God's terms, never on our own. The scriptures are of no private interpretation. It matters very little what we may think God should do. God has made an offering, but it's on his terms. And he will not relent. You cannot get to heaven because you are good. You have, to give, you, you have to be accepted on God's terms. You cannot get to heaven nor out of that proverbial purgatory by paying money or doing good things. First of all, there's not a purgatory. Okay. I hate to destroy your confidence in your, your past, but there isn't. And that's not just a difference between a Protestant and a Catholic religion, okay? That is just a reality, okay? From Genesis to Revelation, you will not find it. And if there were, one of two things would persist. You would have to stay there forever in suspension. And you could never pay enough money to get into heaven. You could never do enough good works to get in heaven. Salvation is offered on God's terms. Pardon of sin is offered on God's terms. We cannot say, excuse me, we must say, forgive me. But we must say, forgive me on God's terms, not on our terms. Repentance is on God's terms, not on our terms. There are two Greek words for the word repentance. 
One is metabolomai, one is metanoia. And it means, one of them means, I'm sorry because I got caught and I wish I didn't have to pay the price. And I, I won't do it again if you let me go. Well, at least I won't do it till I get out of your sight. Okay? That's the kind of repentance that happens when you see a policeman and you're driving 82 miles an hour. God, I'm repentant. You change. You change. All of a sudden, it changes you. And about the time you get about a mile away, you change back. The Bible says that's the kind of repentance, okay, that is a worldly repentance. I'm sorry because I don't want to have to pay that price. I wish I hadn't have done it because it's going to cost me. The second kind of repentance is the repentance that is a godly repentance, the Bible says, that once you change, you don't change back. It's a godly, uh, godly sorrow, the Bible says, works a repentance not to be repented of. Well, that means this, that whenever we have a sorrowful heart, we change and we don't change back. We change not because we're afraid we're going to have to pay a price, but because we realize that we have disappointed God. And that's the kind of repentance that God grants forgiveness. God does not have to. He's not bound to grant repentance for everyone that says, forgive me, God, because they might mean, excuse me, God. They might mean, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd rather not pay, <laughs> you know, but godly sorrow works a repentance on God's terms and it invokes the forgiveness of God because he takes the blood of Christ from the cross and he applies it to that sin and it covers that sin. So every application for forgiveness requires the blood of Christ. First of all, we are forgiven when we come to Christ and we are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then we must live a lifestyle of repentance before God. According to 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's writing to the Christian. If we continue throughout our lives to have a godly sorrow and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That takes the blood of Christ. To cleanse from unrighteousness takes the blood of Christ. Okay? And so here God is willing to make continual application so that not only are we guaranteed that sin has no eternal power over us because we have been born again on God's terms, but sin also cannot exercise governing power over us in this life because we continue to submit our lives to Christ. Sin has a damning power that's taken care of through salvation. But sin has a governing power that is dealt with as we continue to ask for God's forgiveness, have a sorrowful heart, and repent of the sins that we do after we have been born again. And the Bible says that he who says he is without sin, it doesn't say that they're mistaken. It says they're a liar. That's pretty strong terms. That means that you're wrong and you ought to know you're wrong. <laughs> okay? 
Because in ourselves, the Bible says, that is in our flesh, as long as we are in this body, the Bible says that our flesh will war against the spirit and the spirit will war against the flesh. And these two are contrary and we will need God's continual forgiveness so that we can continue to walk in the blessings of God. You see, sin separates that's what it does. It's separated. We can look at the original sin of Adam and Eve. We can look at the sin of Lucifer. Sin separates. One of the things it did is it separated Adam and Eve. It separates man from man. They, they were naked and not ashamed. And all of a sudden they were ashamed of their nakedness in front of each other. And they covered themselves with fig leaves. It separated. Sin separates you from your friends. Sin separates you from your family. Sin separates you from others in business. Sin separates you from your community. Sin separates you from one another. It will separate you from your children. It will separate you from your parents. Sin separates Sin as well separates us from God. God came walking in the cool of the evening in Genesis and Adam and Eve hid themselves from God because they felt separated from God. Sin also separated Adam and Eve from eternal life. Once they had eternal life, once they had access to the tree of life, once they were immortal, and when they sinned, sinned, it separated them from immortality and they became mortal. Okay? And uh, God said, in the day that you eat thereof, in the day that you sin, you will surely die. Well, Adam and Eve did not die on that calendar day, but in reality they did. Genesis 5, 5 says that, that Adam was a 905 years old and he died. It took him basically maybe 900 years to experience the death that came upon him in that moment when he sinned. Sin separates us from one another. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from eternity. And sin also separates us from the blessings that God intends for us to walk in this life. Sin caused Adam and Eve to be pushed out of the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that God drove them out of the Garden of Eden. What was the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden was the presence and the provision and the blessing and the goodness. It was all that God had hoped and all that God wanted and all the blessings that God had for Adam and Eve to enjoy and to, 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 to partake of and just to be so blessed and to you know, have a wonderful, wonderful existence and be blessed in this life on planet Earth. And they were separated from the blessings of God in this life because of sin. Now, we have been given an opportunity to deal with the damning power of sin. When we ask Jesus Christ to come into our heart, be our Lord and our Savior, based upon our faith in him, we get born again. That deals with sin's eternal power. We are destined then. We are reconnected to God. We are reconnected to immortality. We, uh, we, we are half dealt with, if you will. But yet in this life, you and I both know that even though you're on your way to heaven, 
And even though God loves you and has a plan for your life, you don't always walk in the blessings that God has for you in this life. Sometimes this life can seem fairly unblessed. You know what I'm talking about? Although we are heirs to an eternal kingdom. Yet in this life, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. You will have difficulty. You will have power. There are two realities that we live in. The Bible encourages us to understand we are in this world, but we are not of this world. There are two realities that we deal with. The fact that I am a born-again child of God, but the fact that I am living in this world. I am an immortal, immortal creature, but I am living a mortal life in this tabernacle, in this body. And if I want to walk in this life, in the blessings of God, if I want in this life to walk in peace and harmony and fellowship with others who are walking with God, then I must also deal with the sin, the governing power of sin in this life. Not just the eternal power of sin, I deal with that at the cross and my salvation. But daily, as the Apostle Paul said, I crucify my flesh daily. I bring my body into subjection and I renew my mind. Now, we do this in this life to affect this life. Because if the only goal we had in this life, if the only goal for a Christian was to get as close to God as we could get and be the most like God that we can be, then I submit to you, you need to die. Because every, every person, whether they ever went to church or not, whether they ever read the Bible or not, whether they could quote one scripture or not, whether they ever, you know, uh, grew any in Christ or not. Every person who was ever born again that stepped from this life to the next, they know more than any preacher, teacher, any apostle, any prophet. I mean, that one second of transformation makes you closer to God than you'll ever get in this life. While we are in this life, there is trouble, there is toil, but there's purpose to us being here because we are called to be lights in this darkness to bring others to Christ. And the gospel, according to St. John, actually it's in 1 John, the Bible tells us, this elder apostle says this, that we do not have a real relationship with each other. We do not have an eternal relationship. He calls it fellowship. We do not have fellowship with one another. This word fellowship is a Greek word koinonia. And it means a spiritual relationship. It means an intimate spiritual relationship. We do not have relationship with one another. But, he said, if you will walk in the light... And if I will walk in the light, then we will have fellowship with one another because our fellowship is through Almighty God. 
So when I am living a life that's pleasing to God, when I am living a repentant life, when I am living a pure life, when I'm living a holy life, when I'm living a righteous life, when I'm living in the forgiveness of God and you are living in that righteous moment when you are, when you are connected to God and, and right with God and I'm right with God, then the Bible says we have fellowship with one another because our fellowship is through Christ. This is the picture, if you will, and the benefit of us being right with God in this life because it restores relationships. Dealing with the governing power of sin. Now, salvation deals with the eternal damnation and the eternal damning power of sin. Sin has no more power to damn you once you're born again. But it does have power to govern you. If you live under its dominion, it does have power to rob you of blessings. It does have power to rob you of relationships. It does have power to rob you of finances. It has power to rob you from the blessings of God uh, uh, if you so let it. But when you deal with the sin in this life, not only are you destined for an eternal and immortal existence with God, but you also deal with those broken relationships here. And everyone else that gets right with God, you're right with them. Isn't that great? I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love the fact that when I'm right with God and you're right with God, we have fellowship with one another because our fellowship is through Christ. And it also restores me to the blessings that God had always intended for me. For God will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly before him. Isn't that great? But all this comes according to God's terms, not according to ours. We don't get it because we think we deserve it. We get it because we're right with God, because the grace of God paid for it through the cross. And we access that grace by the faith we have in him and by the right standing that we move ourselves into. Does that make sense? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. As he is telling them in verse 16, he who believes dealing with the eternal power of sin and is baptized dealing with this present life, this present governing power of sin. He who believes and is baptized shall be made whole, not only eternally, but also temporarily. But he who does not believe, if you never believe in him, you will be condemned, damned without believing in him. You see, believing is a matter of the heart. And we must look at this one scripture in Mark 16, verse 16. It has to fit into the one story God is telling. It cannot stand on its own feet. It cannot tell its own story. 
Every scripture, in order to be correctly interpreted, must be interpreted according to every other scripture. How do you interpret scripture? With scripture. God's only telling one story, and every piece to the puzzle, every scripture, has to fit into the one picture that God has painted. And that picture is a picture of eternal redemption by faith in Christ Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It has to all fit in the same picture. Every person that was ever saved and every person that ever was granted entrance into eternity, into heaven, has to fit into this one story God is telling. And so here, Jesus is not creating brand new doctrine. Here he is, uh, here he is uh, 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 complimenting. Here he is supporting the doctrine of the whole word of God. He's talking about what it takes to make us whole again. What it takes not only to make us eternally okay, but what it takes to make us blessed and temporally okay. He who is a believer. Believing is a matter of the heart. And it is our confession to God that we believe, that we trust him, that we accept him. Believing is something that is in here. You cannot see it. You cannot know it. You cannot, you know, it's, it's in here. And believing is what I do towards God. Water baptism is what I do. It is a matter of our obedience and it is my confession to the world that I belong to Christ. I am his. I am separating myself from this world unto him alone. You see, water baptism in America is just, uh, just something that a lot of people do. And, and, and of course, it's done well, and we do it, and, we, and, and, and everybody should do it. But you step out of this world into another world. Go with me to India, for example. Go with me to almost any other part of the world, and you will find that that water baptism is the one thing that separates believers in Jesus Christ from those who are nominally accepting of every God and he's just one more of their gods. Because once you are water baptized, that's the point to where your family forsakes you. That's the point to where you are identifying yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ and you are forsaking all other gods and all other approaches and you are saying that I belong to him and him alone. I am buried with him in baptism and I am raised to walk in the newness of his life. That's the place where the world, that's our confession to the world. Salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift. It's an offer from God to become one with Christ for all eternity. While water baptism is a grace. It's a grace-filled opportunity for us to identify with Christ and for us to begin to make this world something that reflects the kingdom of our God. There is a dynamic necessity for us to both believe and to embrace salvation. We must believe and we also must embrace in order to be whole. Just as Jesus was not water baptized so he could become the son of God, neither are we water baptized to become children of God. Jesus was water baptized because he was the son of God. 
We are water baptized because we are children of God. It is a place of identification. The voice from heaven spoke out when Jesus was water baptized and declared, this is my son. Water baptism is that place of identification. Romans, the 10th chapter that we often quote on the Romans road to salvation, verses nine and 10, tell you that, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. Talking about the necessity for us to have a faith that reaches to God, but for us to have a confession that affects others and causes others to realize that we have made a decision. It is so important that we confess Jesus before others. If we're going to have a whole life, if we're not just, you know, not just looking for an eternity, Nicodemus was, was you know, a, a, a secret disciple, okay? Um, you know, Joseph of Arimathea, you know, was a secret disciple as well. But yet the fullness of their testimony came when they stood up and said, I belong to him. I believe in him and claimed his body and buried him and prepared him. It all of a sudden changed for them. It changed for them forever, not only in eternity, but also in this life. They began to shoulder the cross. To believe in him as Savior, it takes a faith towards God. To confess him as Lord takes an act of public identification. Acts, the second chapter, verse 38, one of the premier scriptures concerning water baptism, repent and be water baptized, everyone for the remission of sins. That word for, I believe, is better translated because. So here's what it will say if you read it with the same Greek word also translated in meaning because. It means this. Repent and be baptized every one of you because your sins have been forgiven. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises unto you and your children. To your children's children as many as are far off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I believe that faith in Jesus Christ, calling upon him by faith and receiving him into your life saves you. I believe that water baptism is essential for the Christian who wants to live a victorious life. I believe that water baptism is a circumcision of our heart towards God. I refuse to minimize the compromised position and the loss of potential that is at risk to a believer who refuses to be water baptized. To refuse to identify with Christ in water baptism is tantamount to me to a denial that it has any power or that there is any strength in this life. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you it, it's of reason. It's reasonable that I, I or that you, that we would have an absence of faith in the salvation of another individual who would refuse and who would deny for no other reason than they do not want to publicly identify with Christ. Because I believe without that, you can never live a victorious life in this life. You see, when we are baptized into Christ, it's a different baptism. 
There are a lot of baptisms all through the word of God. Let me quickly just go through a, just a few of them. There's a baptism of salvation, which, which we see in Noah. The Bible says that he was saved. Uh, you know, he, and, he, he and his whole family were saved in that, in, in, in that like unto water baptism in the ark. Okay? God counted that a water baptism, a baptism of, of, of being saved from the calamities of this world. There was a water baptism of repentance. John the Baptist, the Bible says in Acts 19th chapter that John truly baptized with a baptism of repentance. There's a baptism of deliverance. Moses through the Red Sea. Corinthians tells us that that was a water baptism. God saw that as a water baptism and he delivered them from the world through water baptism. They were saved. They were free from Pharaoh. They were let go, but they went through a baptism experience to be delivered from the world and hopefully delivered from all of those enemies that were chasing them. There's a baptism of identification that happened with Jesus at the Jordan River. There's a baptism of purification as Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples and told them that, that he had a baptism that, that indeed they would be baptized with. And he said, if you'll allow me to wash your feet in this particular instance, he said, you will be purified. Your whole body will be cleansed. And that's what they were doing, submitting themselves to a public example so that others could see that they identified with Christ as their master, as their Lord. There's a baptism of commitment that we see throughout the whole book of Acts. People being water baptized from, from Cornelius to the, to, the, to, the, to the Ethiopian eunuch, committing themselves to this risen Christ. You see all of these baptisms, salvation, repentance, deliverance, identification, purification, commitment, they are all reality that are rolled up into this one water baptism that we now, when we baptize into Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we are sent to lead people to Christ and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and to teach them all things that he has commanded us to make disciples of all nations. Those who are baptized into Christ have put on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says. You've put him on as a cloak in this world. You are born again in here, but no one can see it. But putting on Christ as a cloak, we do that through water baptism. The Bible tells us water baptism cleanses our conscience toward God. You see, it helps us in this world. Once I step from this world to the next, I will not have a need of a cleansing of my conscience any longer. I will not have a need to, to, to put on a cloak of righteousness. I will not have a need to continue to be cleaned up and continue to repent. Something will happen in a transformation. And when Jesus breaks through that cloud in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, and, and, and at the last trump of God when he shout of the archangel I will be changed if I'm here in a moment in the twinkle of an eye I will be transformed but as long as I am still in this world struggling through this world even though I'm immortal and eternal and reaching toward a city whose builder and maker is God yet I deal with sin and I deal with worry and frustration and irritation and aggravation and other people who are frustrated irritated aggravated and angry and and walking through this world Jude says our righteous garments get stained just because we are in this ungodly and dark generation. Lot, though he was a righteous man, living in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, it vexed his soul. It confused him and it caused his righteousness to be tarnished. Angels having to pull him out 
to escape the destruction because he was righteous in here, but in here he was confused. You can punch somebody next to you and say he's talking about you. The old man is buried with Christ in a watery grave and we are raised in water baptism to walk, in, to walk in this life in a new mind, in a new hope. Baptism helps us to walk with Christ in this world. Water baptism tells the world that we believe in Jesus. Now, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be made completely whole. 